I'm RJ Bell with the sports betting headlines for Thursday. Big news with the NBA trades. You just heard it. Simmons and Harden swap teams. This is a monster, and we'll tell you all of the effects from the Vegas perspective. Not so much of a monster. No real action from the Lakers, though supposedly they had a deal to send Westbrook to Houston, but a first-round pick in 27 was the deal-breaker. What does that say? There's been movement with the Super Bowl. Cincinnati money, it's now, it was four, four and a half, the line, Rams favored. Now it's three and a half, four. Big move with the Bengals, total still 48 and a half. Here comes a four out of the Vegas truth covering all that and more. You're listening to Fox Sports Radio. 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 This is Straight Out of Vegas with the voice of Vegas, your host, RJ Bell. The pregame show America has always wanted. I doubt the future. I doubt the future. From the Vegas Strip, here's R.J. Bell. You heard it, I'm R.J. Live on the day of the trading deadline. Who knew? A lot of NBA news. <laughs> We're broadcasting live from Vegas on 225 FSR stations across this great, great nation. And, man, we got a lot of deals that happened. One gigantic one, obviously, and that's where we're going to start. We don't have to say, what's the Vegas lead? We know what it is. He is the fan who beats the man, A.J. Hoffman. Thank you, R.J. Yeah, the Vegas lead. Clearly, this mega trade between the Philadelphia 76ers and the Brooklyn Nets. James Harden traded to Philadelphia for Ben Simmons, Seth Curry, Andre Drummond, and draft picks. Okay, so the assumption here is that the, the market said that Harden was much more valuable than Simmons. Why else would there be so many throw-ins? I think what needs to be identified is Harden's decision to uh, accept next year's salary, which the way the deal was, he could have opted out of a commitment to next year for him. And that would have meant at the end of this year, he was up for a new contract. The act of him opting in really decreases his leverage. So now you have two seasons with Harden with price certainty and without having to make a long-term commitment. And let's be candid. His age seems to be showing Harden. So, AJ, the first thing I see is that to whatever degree Harden is better than Simmons and the uncertainty of Simmons, that amount of difference is bolstered, is increased the Harden's advantage over Simmons because of this action of accepting next year's deal, opting into next year's deal, because that means, hey, if this really is pot-bellied Harden starting to show his age, his knees are going, whatever, his hammy, you're going to know by the end of next year it's going to show itself, and hey, you're out if you want to be out. Or yeah, you, him, him, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I- 
Yeah, no, I apologize. He, him opting in basically guarantees that he will be in Philadelphia for the next two seasons, and the Sixers don't have to make an immediate decision this, you know, this offseason and say, well, what do we want to do? Do we want to make this guy another a mega deal contract? So they can get two years worth of James Harden, which is probably, you know, like you said, his age beginning to show, you're still probably going to get close to prime James Harden for the next two years without making the commitment of the next six years beyond that, which I think by the time you get halfway through that next contract of James Harden, it's going to be very onerous for whoever has that contract. So Philly gets some flexibility by by having James opt in and take not so they're not getting him for just this year. They've got him locked in for next year as well. Yeah. And and the price for next year isn't cheap, but it's one year. So let's say this. I mean, uh, there's an old saying, protect the downside. The upside takes care of itself. So let's think about the downside for Philadelphia. The downside is that Harden just keeps his precipitous drop. He's got, he's got a downward trending arrow, and imagine it just keeps on going. Well, listen, you gave up something of value, even though Simmons wasn't yielding for the Sixers this year. He is an asset that, again, we see was valuable. I mean, if anything, this is a redemption, it seems, to the 76ers front office and Daryl Morey's approach here is it, 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 it really has worked out, I think, better. Now, I, let's make a caveat to this. Seth Curry is a big piece, or was, of the current Sixers team. Yep. M- McKenzie, who specializes in the NBA, McKenzie Rivers, would you agree uh, about the significance of, of Curry, not that Curry, Curry to the Sixers? 100%. He's probably the best shooting guard in the East outside of James Harden. And the theory is, hey, this is a good trade. It, 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 but because if, if all you look at is what was producing on the floor, well, Harden is better than Curry, better than Drummond. You know, all that package doesn't compare to Harden, though Seth Curry is a meaningful player. Now, the theory is, well, if Simmons were playing, who, which team would be better? And this is, I think, the real question to see if Morey gets uh, the real flowers, as they say these days, the real acclaim. Or was this just kind of escaping with a good deal, but maybe a problem this team made? Because remember, after the playoffs last year, the Sixers were frustrated, got beat by the Hawks, and there was a lot of loose talk. Doc Rivers, the coach, and beat even about Simmons' struggles, which if most recall – missing a bunch of free throws, not willing to shoot the ball, just a real disaster under pressure. As much of a blow-up, a disaster as we've seen from a star player. Remember, Simmons has multiple uh, uh, all-NBA type designations, or all-NBA designations. I think there's two in his history, which means he's been declared by by the key people that decide these things one of the top 15 players in the league. There's three teams on the All-NBA, first, second, third, five players each. He was one of the top 15 players in the league for two seasons, it's been determined. And last year, he was the number two vote-getter for Defensive Player of the Year. So if you got one of the best defenders in the NBA who has been in the top 15 recently, that's a valuable asset. Sure. And it was completely devalued. By the playoff series, yes, but maybe more so by the hubbubaloo after 
and the way there was such a distancing of the Sixers from Simmons to the point where he has refused to participate. Now, I'm not saying Simmons is right, but I'm saying this is what's happened, and they had a lot of years to get to know Simmons and build trust. And obviously the Sixers failed in that regard. And my question would be to you, AJ, and McKenzie, whoever has an opinion, is Simmons playing with the Sixers, with Seth Curry, with all the pieces they were going to move or are moving for Harden, is that team better than the team that will exist now with Harden but without those pieces? My opinion is yes, they will be better. I, I think that he gives them something that they are desperately missing, which is a defensive, you know, stopper. Well, no, no, I'm, I'm talking about Philadelphia first. Oh, it, Philadelphia. It, well, yeah, let me let me say this one more time. Is there's two scenarios that could have happened? Scenario one is this wasn't a problem after Simmons blew up in the playoffs. They accepted the loss. They didn't get all histrionic. They didn't get all you know talking loosely and saying negative things about Simmons, which, again, I think they were mostly true. But the fact that he reacted the way he did made it where he didn't want to be on this team. And thus, this trade was forced. My question is, if they didn't act that way and Simmons would have still been on this team this year, the Sixers, okay, would that team be better with Simmons and Seth Curry and Drummond and those draft choices, which doesn't affect the team this year, would that team be better than the current version of the team with Harden but without Simmons and Curry? No, I would say this version, this new version, would be better because what the Sixers desperately lacked was a second scoring option. And, and I think what Harden brings is obviously instant offense, something that Ben Simmons just never could bring. And I think that was a frustrate. That's really where the frustration stemmed from for everybody was that they needed someone who was willing to take shots when Joel Embiid was getting doubled or whatever was happening or just if they needed someone to take a shot from the outside. James Harden is never going to be questioned on is he a willing offensive player. Player. He is no doubt that. Uh, so I, I would yeah. say that the Sixers are better right now for, for this. Okay, so I won't give my opinion until we get McKenzie's. I think it's important to realize with Harris, a, a, a max guy that's offensively inclined, and with Seth Curry, I'm not so sure as this team's evolved that the desperation for Simmons to be anything more than the fourth score in theory is my thought. What do you think, McKenzie? I agree with that, but I think it's about the geometry of the Sixers. Like, yeah, Ben Simmons could be a, a pass-first you know, point guard for them, and they'd be well, okay. Well, first of all, he, he has been up until yeah. – let's get something straight. Up until the playoffs last year, Simmons was – there was real, no, really no dip in the Simmons' esteem in the league. If, if we would have did a poll at the beginning of the playoffs last year, before the blow-up, about where Simmons' standing was relative to a year before, a year before – there were people saying he should have been defensive player of the year. So uh, I think that was ridiculous. I, you know, but I think he, as a two, number two vote there behind Gobert, yeah, okay. But, but, because I thought Gobert was so dominant defensively last year. Sure. But the reality is that, that I believe that any downgrade of Simmons before the playoffs would have been very modest relative to the year before the year before. So, McKenzie, do you agree with that? Yes, I, I do. And, and that would have made him a top 15 to 20 player in the league. That I very much disagree with, and I'm an, on an island. I've been on an island on right, this then we for probably a long don't, time. Then I'll give you 30 seconds to make your contrary case. But, I mean, listen, there's 50 NBA people that are on one side, and there's McKenzie on the other, so go. So last year, advanced at 
player efficiency rating, Ben Simmons had 18.4. In the playoffs, he had 18.1. It barely dipped. The reason why all the noise about how bad Simmons was is because in the fourth quarter of the last six games of the Eastern Conference Series versus the Hawks, he had one attempt in the fourth quarter. It wasn't that he was playing bad. He just wasn't aggressive, and it didn't fit with what the Sixers needed out of that out of that second star. Well, first off, there's a difference between – I think what you're saying is pretty logical, except I think it's making my point. What you're saying is that he played about as well in the playoffs except for something major or maybe not major. You can decide that. But to me – if you can't, if you're scared to take a free throw and you're like shaking at the free throw line and you're shooting like 36%, like Will Chamberlain looks like a, 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 and Shaq look like a champion free throw shooter next to you, 250% guys, that's a bigger problem than, oh, just he's not aggressive. It was effectively he wouldn't, I mean, like literally, like guys like, um, uh, Anthony Mason from the Knicks back in the day that was like a bodybuilder. Those guys would take a 15-footer, right? Like there's never been a defensive player that won't take a 15-footer. And it's like when Simmons went from a modest offensive player that wouldn't shoot threes to a guy that wouldn't even drive to the basket because he was afraid to shoot free throws and wouldn't shoot from outside of his life depended on it. That completely, you want to talk about geometry, that completely messed up the team where the, the defenses were able to act in a way like he didn't exist versus him shooting from 18, let's say, at, at below league average is much preferable to not existing on offense. And do you think that Doc Rivers or Embiid don't understand the game enough to know what he did was drastically different? No, and Joel Embiid pointed out after their Game 7 loss, the turning point was in the fourth quarter. Ben Simmons had what looked like a wide-open dunk, turned it out for a pass, ended up being a missed shot. Psychologically, as much as anything, that was the killer point of the season for the Sixers. Yeah, I would say psychologically, but I also would say practically that 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 might have been emblematic of it, and I remember that play. But And again, I think the Sixers played this wrong. And, And what my takeaway from this part of the conversation would be, my conclusion, is this is probably a pretty darn good trade for the Sixers, all things considered. But part of what's being considered is the fact that he is a loss. He was a lost cause Simmons with the Sixers because of the way they reacted. Because let's be candid. He hasn't played a game since he played at that at that way in the playoffs, but somehow Brooklyn's willing to trade for him, which means there's a belief that that wasn't his truth, that there's the truth of being all NBA or at least close was the truth. AJ, last word on this part. I would say one other thing that the Nets find appealing in Ben Simmons is I think that they don't have any intentions of him being their point guard. And I think what that what that series last year showed is that it's very difficult to have a point guard who's unwilling to take a shot or if, if it's if it's presented to him. And I think if the Nets use him off the ball, I think that they they believe How can they'll have you more use him success. Off the ball, when he won't, off the ball implies that he has to be a scorer. Off the ball implies that he doesn't have to handle the ball going up and down the court. But he's a great ball handler. Sure he he is, and he he, could be a great ball handler at the power forward position instead of the point guard position. Okay, so but that's – I mean, a point forward was effectively what the Sixers were running with them. So, I mean, it wasn't like he was up top and playing like, uh, you know, uh, Isaiah Thomas, you know, the original back in the day, is – to me, this all comes down to the idea that what Simmons was – was, as as McKenzie said, I think correctly, uh, 
limited as a scorer. His PR didn't show, you know, because, listen, these advanced stats really struggle to show defense. That's just all there is to it. So what that PR said is in every way except defense, he's a little bit above average. Because what, 15's average, right, McKenzie? Correct. Yep. Okay. So he's a little bit above average NBA starter. But as a defender, he's the second best in the league based on last year. So to have the second best defender and a guy who is above average otherwise is an amazing asset. But he became not above average in those playoffs. He became one of the worst offensive players in the league, if not the worst. And he still was a good defender. That difference told the story. That was the difference that broke the Sixers effectively mentally. Now Brooklyn's assuming that difference isn't the truth. And if they're right, this is a pretty good trade. But what we're going to do is take our first break. When we come back is we're going to look at this from the Brooklyn side. And my take is, well, let me say, it's going to be strong and it's going to be negative for Brooklyn. He's R.J. Bell. I'm A.J. Hoffman. This is the pregame show you've always wanted right here on Fox Sports Radio. Straight out of Vegas! Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. I disagree with intervention. I disagree with protocol. I'm RJ Bell. We are straight out of it. And I'm AJ Hoffman. Auto. Just a minute. We're going to take a look at the Brooklyn side of this trade. Uh, and RJ, you seem like you're not you're not really pleased with either side's outcome in this deal. Well, I think that what matters is at what point are we judging this from? If we're judging it from a disgruntled Harden and a, a, a maximumly disgruntled Simmons, then I think both teams did all right. And the Sixers, from that perspective, I think did exceptionally well. But if we judge it from, hey, there's no reason Harden couldn't have been happy in Brooklyn. There's no reason Simmons couldn't have been happy in Philly, though that would have been more difficult. Compared to that, I don't think it's much of a deal for either team. But we'll get into the details of my opinion there. This is the fastest growing show on Fox Sports Radio. Audiences doubled in the last year plus. Thank you for that. We'll keep working extra hard to try to Make it worth your while to spread the word because that's what helps grow the show. You can listen on the iHeartRadio app. Just search straight out of Vegas. Here in Vegas on the Strip, 74 degrees, the neon is chugging. All right, RJ, we looked at this from the Sixers' perspective. How do you see it from the Brooklyn Nets' side of things? Okay, Simmons, who was a and probably is a really strong defender and – uh, slightly above average at his, you know, at his height, I guess, player otherwise, offensive player with all the elements. He's obviously a bad shooter, bad free throw shooter. But as a passer, as a guy that can push the ball and transition, et cetera, et cetera. Well, what's the certainty on him not being the head case? And we can say, you know, I don't know what to say. The person with the psychological problems as they manifested during the playoffs. Yeah, let's just say head case. Because we're talking about basketball. Whatever happens off the court and whatever issues he may or may not have, I wish him the best, and I am very sympathetic. But on the court, he's a head case. And to me, if he returns to where he was before the playoffs last year, I still think he's a lesser player than Harden. So in a weird way, what you're saying is if everything goes right for Brooklyn – They'll only downgrade a little bit from hard. 
But man, there is a lot of space below that that things could go. Because if Simmons is the player for the rest of his career he was in that playoff series, I'm not sure he's in the, I mean, maybe he's in the league, but I mean, he's like the fifth or sixth best guy on a team. Not, you know, he's not an elite guy. So what do you, what do you think about any of those thoughts, AJ? I, I think you make a great point that if that what we saw in that playoff series is the truth of Ben Simmons, if a change of scenery or a change of position or a change of surrounding parts doesn't help Ben Simmons, then this is a disaster for the Nets. And you just got to wonder what the hardened disgruntledness where it came from. From what I understood, James Harden wasn't happy with the fact that Kyrie Irving was a part-time player on the team. Okay, so, I mean, okay. So now what? You, it was one player of, of, of 12 or whatever that you're not happy with. You, you still got Durant, maybe the – and probably most – well, I think him and, and, and Giannis are clearly the two best players right now. I mean, Steph Curry, I think uh, you could make the case. I wouldn't, though. I think Steph Curry top five or seven. But, I mean, if you got one of the best players in the league and you think you're one of the best players in the league, and Irvin is certainly a top 15 player when he's on the court, I mean, Lordy B, uh, that seems like you got more talent than you've ever had. If it's half of Irvin, Durant, when he comes back, and you, you should have, you know, Harden in this case has more talent than he's ever had. None of those Houston teams had that talent. No, the uh, the only one that would be in the discussion was his Oklahoma City teams. Yeah, but Harden was a six man. Sure. But you're you're right. I mean, he would have seen that, and you would have said they probably had more talent. But I don't even know. They couldn't even win the title. But they were young, and you know. But uh, go ahead. I think the results so far, being you know sitting at 29-25, the eight seed in the East right now. Uh, if if you're frustrated and the results are poor, it just it multiplies yeah. that frustration. How many games out from like second are they? Like four, six. Yeah, I mean, listen. Let's look at before today. If we look at yesterday's title odds, let's let the betting market tell us what kind of trouble Brooklyn was in pre-trade. So, Mackenzie, as of yesterday or the day before pre-trade, what were the? Uh, give us the favorites to win the title. As of yesterday, the ninth, the Nets were the favorite at plus four hundred. Wait, by wait, the hold Suns. on, hold on. The favorite in the New York metropolitan area. No, the entire country and world. So more than the Phoenix Suns? Yeah, Suns would be second, tied with the Warriors at plus 450. This is yesterday. And then the um, That's good. Milwaukee That's good. Bucks. That's good. So Harden was frustrated because he was on the, the title favorite. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the case you're making, AJ? I, I I don't know I don't I don't know the mindset of James Harden but I just all I what well, you, I read you were in Houston was that for he like was ten a, years with him and I also know that nobody likes playing with James Harden that, well, that's that, one thing I can say for sure but that has nothing to do with him what I what I know is I read that James Harden was unhappy with Kyrie Irving being a part time player for the team I'm sure Harden's unhappy about something if the strip club doesn't have the buffet out past one o'clock I bet he's not happy <laughs> either. But, I mean, the fact – I mean, let's be candid. He was renowned as one – I mean, he kept the strip club economy in Houston going is what I've heard. I think that's probably fair to say. <laughs> Are you scared to say the truth I, of it? No, I, th I think he kept it going, maybe kept it strong, vibrant. I think he was a major player in that. And okay. part of his disgruntledness, Harden reportedly much preferred living in Houston versus Brooklyn. I'm not sure if that was the club scene. Well, of course. Why? I mean, living in New York City, I mean, that can't be any good, right, when you, when you make $50 million a year? 
<laughs> I mean, how could he have? I mean, what was scores not open late enough? I mean, listen, I love him on the court. I actually disagree with the whole not fun to play with. I would make the case that that was about the offense Houston was running, which he obviously was okay with. But when he came to Brooklyn, I think it's unequivocally true. And we'll look for a second at his stats when the big three were together playing and, and all the stats. But I think it's undebatable that Harden was very accommodating to the reality of Brooklyn's offense. And he didn't want it to be me, me, me. And, and I think he played exceptionally well. Let's look at the team results. So, McKenzie, how many games did the big three for Brooklyn, formerly Brooklyn, uh, for Harden, play together during all his time with the team? 16 games. All right. What was the team's record? 13-3 and three in those games. Pretty good, pretty good. Any other numbers jump out at you? Yes, the Nets set a record last year for offensive rating at 118 as a team. Just looked it up in the 16 games they played together, 127 offensive rating, the big three together, would have beaten the all-time record by eight points a game, essentially. So so just to be clear, this wasn't just when they were on the court. This is the games they played together in. Correct. Okay, so even when they weren't on the court together – if you take the game and explain offensive efficiency, it's about how many possessions, right? Because sometimes the pace of games or often are different. So they try to make it where everyone's graded on the same uh, level. Yes, per possession. Exactly. The NBA game on average is about 100 possessions per team per game. So what the offensive rating is, how many points did you score per 100 possessions? And you're saying of every team that ever walked the earth, the Brooklyn team from last year, even though they only played what was it, 13 games together in the regular yeah. season? Yes. Is they had the greatest offensive efficiency ever, the highest. But when these three were together, it was almost 10 points higher than anyone's ever been. It's crazy, and it's true. And to me, how can anyone think any trade other than some kind of crazy Giannis or LeBron in his prime, how can you improve on something that's 10 points better than any team's ever been? You could make the argument they've only played 13 games. That would be that would be the argument that they played 16 games now over the course of a year and almost a second year. Okay. Uh, so if you if you say we're going to get this team to be a big three and that big three is never on the floor, then is it is I mean it's sure those numbers are great when they happen, but they just don't happen. I think that's a valid point. But now the next question needs to be then if the lack of time together on the floor is the problem, how much did Harden contribute to that? Meaning, when you add it up to missed games, I'm, I'm thinking they all three. I mean, I know Kyrie's missed a ton of games, obviously, this year. And I also know that so Durant missed a ton of games this year. And Harden's missed some last year and some this year. But I'm guessing he's missed the least of the three. I would guess so. So, if you have a big three, do you trade away your most robust and sturdy member if lack of playing time or games played is the issue? No, I'm saying that maybe that's why James Harden was a squeaky wheel because he was frustrated with the fact that those three were not on the floor. Okay, so but then why does Brooklyn trade him? I, I mean, because he doesn't want to be there would I be mean, my assumption. He, I mean, first off, how much do we know that? I mean, maybe did the fact they did trade him tells us that was true. But boy, then what kind of ingrate is he? I mean, like what, uh, he's a, to- a top-notch one. I mean, because it's one thing to say. I mean, this is the you, you played on the best offense that's ever walked the earth, and 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 you were hurt a good bit too, and you come in overweight, 
And he's patting his belly saying, nope, these other guys got to do more. I mean, Lordy, I guess, listen, it, it goes to uh, the, the best bet in the history of humankind is once someone shows you their essence, it's hard for that to ever change. And and I always talk about the heart attack guy that is eating celery sticks yep. and two years later he's eating cheese sticks. And and even though he just had the heart attack, because once you get forget about that hospital, all of a sudden and again, knock on wood, I'm not speaking from experience, but you see it all the time. Harden thought, I got to get out of Houston. And let's be candid. It was one of the most atrocious exits, forced exits out of Houston we've ever seen. He was getting paid gigantic money, wouldn't play hard, forced his way out. And, and again, I give Daryl Morey credit that he stood strong with Simmons. He didn't capitulate. He waited to get the deal he wanted. I think Philly would have been better off if he hadn't been disgruntled to start with. Now, could they have done anything to stop it? I don't know. But it didn't feel like those comments after that game were necessary. And I totally understand in the heat of the moment getting frustrated because that's one of my weaknesses. In the heat of the moment, I get frustrated. Within 10 seconds, I, I, I feel calm. But what is said in those 10 seconds? And who knows if Doc Rivers regretted what he said 10 seconds after he did. But it pretty much pretty much put in motion today's trade. And I think that unequivocally, given the givens of that necessity of the trade, Philly worked out really strongly with this and and, and got the better end of the deal. I think the best Brooklyn can hope for, even if Simmons plays as well as he did before his, you know, uh, troubles in the playoffs. break. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't want – I mean, you could say that. But, again, with with the talk of – you know, a lot of people speculate that the talk, A.J., of Simmons, you know, mental health issues was a way to defray the – you know, the reality he's just sitting out. From what I understood, and McKenzie told me this this morning, he's talking with his therapist about coming back to play. Like, if you have to talk to your therapist before you come back to play, that tells me there's something going on there. It's not just smoke. But if they know – that if he just comes back like nothing, then the, all of this looks like a charade, right. a facade, then it only makes sense to have that leaked. And then within a week or two, you, hey, my therapist and I worked it through. I'm ready to play ball. I mean, it, it, to me, that's coverage. That's camouflage that's from fair. What, what's really going on. All right. We will go to what was the second biggest move of the day? We'll tell you first though. Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. Fox Sports Radio, I'm AJ Hoffman. He's the voice of Vegas, RJ Bell. I'm not sure about that, but I sure like Skyline. I go with the, I don't know anything about it. I've, yeah, I've never uh, experienced. It's, uh, you know, I grew up in Ohio, so Cincinnati's where it came from. But up in Columbus, there was a Skyline right on High Street, baby, when I went to school at Ohio State. They, they actually served draft beer at that Skyline. Mmm. So it's spaghetti with chili, and then you can have a three-way, which is that, and they put cheese on top. A four-way has either beans or onions. And the five-way, which means stay out of the way the next morning, has beans and onions. <laughs> All right. As Let's... someone from Texas, beans don't belong in chili. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You are our Texas representative, so I yeah, like that. This is a known fact. Okay. So when we come back, final break, we will tell you about the Lakers trade and how really the case could be made. The fact there wasn't a Lakers trade is as big of a story as any other except for Simmons. And I promised you your fourth best bet for me in props 
This one might be the best one so far. He's RJ Bell. I'm AJ Hoffman. This is the pregame show you've always wanted right here on Fox Sports Radio. Right out of Vegas! Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. I'm R.J. Bell. We are straight out of Vegas. And I'm A.J. Hoffman. Okay, so Lakers, I got my best bet coming up in just a minute or two. Lakers don't make a trade. A.J., you had a take on this I don't agree with, I don't think, but what was your take? My take was that the Lakers, who it, the the reported trade was they could have got they could have offloaded Russell Westbrook's contract for a similar dead contract in in John Walls, but gotten a player from the Rockets in Christian Wood or Eric Gordon that would have improved their chances for this year. They were unwilling to send a 2027 first rounder to the Rockets as part of the deal, which makes me feel like they're not prioritizing winning this season. Okay, I think that's maybe the opposite impression I have. When you say that it's a dead contract, a similar dead contract, you slipped it in there. So Westbrook is as like Wall has a value of zero, it seems at this point, at least this year. And Westbrook has a value of zero, a similar dead contract, you say? I wouldn't say that, but I would say that Lakers exec, unnamed Lakers executives have come out and said the Russell Westbrook deal is much worse than I even thought. And that was someone who was apparently negative about it before before the season started. Okay, so some unknown person said something. Okay. Yeah, I'm sure there's some people, there's infighting within the Lakers to see who's to blame. No one's saying it wasn't a, a bad deal. But the question is, they signed him thinking this year, next year, year after how many years he has, that, that all those years are worth it to the team at this huge number. That's a big get. The fact they fell short of that, yeah, that's unquestioned. But the idea that Westbrook isn't worth anything right now is absurd to me. And and you know what? I think Houston actually agrees with you, though. Because if you, you look at that trade, they were saying, hey, if Wall and Westbrook are equally useless and I'm giving you someone else, right, whoever, Eric Gordon or whatever, then you need to send us a draft choice. And the Lakers said, no, you're getting Westbrook, and he's more valuable than Wall. And Houston said no. So right, because if the if the Rockets bring in Russell Westbrook, they wouldn't have kept him. He would have been he would have been bought out. Which speaks to the idea that Houston doesn't think he's valuable. So correct. Yeah. So to me, it's the Lakers are saying we think Westbrook's worth more than you're saying, and that's throwing the 2027 is ridiculous. So and I agree with it. I think that was ridiculous. To, again, Houston offered. It's great. No one thought the Lakers could get rid of Westbrook for a fair deal. And thus they were offered an unfair deal. And they said, no, I actually appreciate the guts they showed there. Now, what's going to be interesting is will it be demoralizing for the team uh, the next couple games? Because maybe they thought we could have you know, been around the bend on this. I don't know. So we'll continue with some NBA stuff tomorrow. But I think my best bet is probably next. What do you think, AJ? I think it's time. All right. Now, this is a rare two-bet combo hedge, and I'm going to explain it really high level. I want to bet the following two things. I want to bet Burroughs rush attempts over two and a half, and I want to bet Burroughs rush yards under 11 and a half. Now, this is diametrically opposed. 
But I think we have a much better chance to win both bets than losing both bets. I think a lot of the time we're going to hedge out here or we're going to vig out, they call it, which means we'll win one and lose one. He might rush seven times for 70 yards and we're going to win the over on the rush attempts, but we'd lose the under on the rush yards. But how likely is it that he rushes the ball three times, four times, but he has less than 11 and a half yards? I think it's much more likely than him running the ball either one or two times and being over 11 and a half yards. And that's why we're betting both understanding that one of them most likely is going to lose and one's going to win, but we have a better chance to win both than lose both. And the reason is Burrow has just started running. On the season, he only averaged 7.8 yards. We're going under 11 and a half. What we know is he's looking to get a little bit of yardage when the rush is on, and he's not so much trying to break one. He'll get a couple yards and probably go down at the first sign of anyone. And because of that, it only takes three rushes, which he doesn't get a ton of yards, and we win both. I like this a lot. It's an advanced bet, but it is in combination, the same amount of money, over two and a half rushes for Burrow, under 11 and a half yards rushing for Burrow. AJ. Yeah, I love this one. I love because I can't, I can't see a scenario where Joe Burrow has two rushes for 30 yards. or like This is not Josh Allen. This is a guy who rushes out of emergency only, and they want to keep him healthy. They're not going to design runs for Burrow. So I, I really liked it, and I think he's going to be under duress, so I think he is going to have to take off more than twice. Great analysis. I love it. Good show. If you missed any of today's show, including a breakdown of the James Harden and Ben Simmons trade, you can check it out on the podcast at foxsportsradio.com. We'll be back tomorrow, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 o'clock Vegas time, the final show before the Super Bowl. He's R.J. Bell. I'm A.J. Hoffman. We are straight out of Vegas right here on Fox Sports Radio. See you tomorrow, Super Bowl Friday. Straight out of Vegas!